This morning we continue our study in the book of Acts, uh, the, the history, really the unfolding of the history of the formation of the church, and this morning our sermon is entitled, The Unnormal Church, The Unnormal Church, and the premise today is, the church honestly is to be anything but normal. Now we may view it as such, we may have made it as such, we may treat it as such, but the church honestly is anything but normal. And I think we need to hold that perspective. The church is anything but normal. And so our message today, the unnormal church. We're in Acts chapter 9, today verses 32 through 43. Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32, the unnormal church. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at the time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and all and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Verse 43, And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for peace that we have settled in the finished work of our Savior and our Lord. Lord, I'm thankful that we could come and gather today and that we could praise you and we could worship you. And Lord, I pray that you've been blessed in our gathering today. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that it is a supernatural event. I pray that it is far from a normal event. And I pray that you would speak, that you would lead, that you would direct. And I pray that your people, we would be taught and shaped and built and correct it if need be. And Lord, I pray that there will be a people that walk as disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that the result of this and the influence of this message and the influence of these saints 
is that folks would find the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in that endeavor. Lord, we worship you, we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today in our verses, we see the account, again, of the the history of the church, the unfolding of the the development of the church. We see it unfold in our verses. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was two weeks ago, that I pointed out, as we read through Acts, we are seeing it really is the record of, and then this happened, and then this happened, And then this happened. And you start the account in Acts chapter 1, and you hear that they went to the upper room. And then this happened. There was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then this happened. And it is an account, really, in chronological order, detailing, and then this happened. It is, again, the historical unfolding of the events in the start of the church. Well, today, that account continues. Understand at the point of our verses today, Saul has been converted in the, on the Damascus road. He has preached there in Damascus. He has preached in Jerusalem. And under the threat of death, he has gone to his hometown of Tarsus. And that was, those were our preceding verses. Well, now the narrative, now the account turns back to Peter. Now I want to stop right here for just a second. And I, I want to say, isn't it awesome to see how God is working in the church? And we need to be aware of that as we've passed through these nine chapters. Isn't it awesome to see how God is working in the church? He is working in the Christians there in Jerusalem. He is working in the Christians that were dispersed because of persecution. He is working in Philip as he travels about preaching the good news of the gospel. He is working in Saul as he confirms and also preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. And now we see he is also working in Peter. Friends, I want you to understand that is the picture of the church. That should be, that ought to be the picture of the church. Be sure no one person has a corner on the work of God. Sometimes we think, well, the pastor does. Well, maybe those deacons do, or maybe some great teacher does. Listen, the idea of the church is that it is a collective movement, and no one person has a corner on the movement, the work of God. And so it is an awesome thing. God works through the members of the church. He is found moving through the members of the church, and that is an awesome thing. All right, let's go to our verses this morning, starting in verse 32. Now, in verse 32, we're going to see preaching is still the primary mission of the church. Preaching is still the primary mission of the church. All right, verse 32. Now, as Peter was traveling... Through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Verse 31, if you were to back up one verse, it would say that there is peace 
and the church is being built up in Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. Those are, the, those are the places given to us in verse 31. Well, in verse 32, it says that Peter was traveling through those areas. And so we pull that from verse 31. In Judea and Samaria and Galilee, Peter is traveling through those areas. Now, I want you to see this. The fisherman from Galilee is now found traveling, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to get this. I want you to be sure of this. The church grows and people are saved as the message of Jesus Christ is shared. And that's what we see in all of these verses. That's what we see specifically in this verse. The church grows and people are saved as the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is shared. Listen, that is the formula. That was the formula. That remains the formula today. That is how it worked then. That is also how it works now. Paul would later say that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so we see and we make note again in this one verse over and over and over again the church is proclaiming Jesus the Nazarene as the Messiah, the Savior of God. Be very sure that is the primary mission of the church. That is how the church grows. That is how Christianity spreads in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, verse 32 says that in doing that, he came down to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now what that means is there are already some believers in Lydda. He came down to the saints. He's going around preaching, but as he comes down, he comes down to some believers already at Lydda. Now, in Acts chapter 8, it says that Philip had passed by there. Maybe he shared the good news. Maybe somebody else had gone down there. Maybe one of them had traveled to some other area. But whatever the means was, he came down. And when he got to Lydda, he found some believers already there. Verse 33. Verse 33, we're going to see power is on display in the church. First, we see preaching is the mission of the church. The second thing we see is power is on display in the church. All right, verse 33. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years for he was paralyzed. Verse 34. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. Now I think it's kind of funny that that word, that phrase, make your bed, it literally means take care of your mat. He says Jesus Christ heals you, now take care of that mat. Do something with that mat. What he says in effect is get up and walk. You're not going to need that mat. Do something with that mat. Now, I want to point out some things here in, in just these verses. First thing is this, and I think it's important for us to be sure and note. First thing is this, his healing is full. His healing is complete. It is not a partial healing. 
He doesn't say, well, I've given you use of one leg and maybe some other time you'll get the use of another leg. He says, you can get up and walk. It is not a partial healing. Be sure and note that. Also notice here, the healing is immediate. It is not, again, in stages. It is not over time. He says you are healed, and it says immediately he got up. Now, that's important because we need to understand that's how God works. You see folks today, and they say, well, we're going we're gonna to pray, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and then it doesn't happen as they think, and they say, well, it was a partial healing. Well, it was a healing in a different realm. I actually heard that. Well, it's a healing that's coming over time. Listen, when God did a miraculous healing, it was a full, complete healing, and it was an immediate healing. That is how God worked. Now, the biggest thing to understand in these verses is this. The healing occurs, now take note of this, not in the name of Peter and not in the power of Peter. It happens in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. Peter says here, Jesus Christ heals you. Be sure it is Jesus who heals Aeneas. It is not Peter. It is not the power of Peter. It is Jesus who heals Aeneas. Now, as we move through these verses, I want you to kind of picture the narrative as it unfolds. I want you to picture that. Here is this man, Aeneas, and he has been paralyzed for eight years. Now, I don't know if it was a sickness polio or some sickness that had onset to him. I don't know if it was an accident that had rendered him paralyzed, but for eight years, he had been paralyzed. For eight years, he had lain on that sad little mat. For eight years, he had to have folks help him as he moved around. For eight long years, he was sick of that condition. And in one flat second, immediately it says he got up and he walked. Picture that. He's healed by Jesus. It is Jesus who heals him. Verse 35. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Pretty awesome verse. Sharon actually is not a city it is a region. It is about 10 miles wide, and it's between 30 and 50 miles long. It is, it is this little valley, the Sharon Valley. And so it is this region. And the Bible says all who lived in Lydda and also all who were in Sharon turned to the Lord. They saw Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. And so I want you to see the scope of that, not only those in the neighborhood, but not only those in the town, but those in the entire region, 30 to 50 miles long. It says all of those in the region, they saw Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. The verb for turn to the Lord, actually in the original language means they turned away to the Lord. That's the, that's the verb. That's an, important, that's an important distinction. They turned away to the Lord. Now what that means is they in repentance turned to the Lord. They turned away from their sin. They turned away from their life apart from God. And in turning away from that, they turned to the Lord. They turned 
to Jesus. Now, I want to be very sure and make this clear here. They got saved. They got saved. That's what it means. It doesn't mean they saw a great miracle and thought, you know what, I'll hang around and see if we see some more. It doesn't mean they saw a great miracle and thought, you know what, I'll hang around and see if some other good things happen. It means that they turned away from their lost lives, they turned away from their sin, and they turned to Jesus. They got saved. We need to be sure and say something. And I'm going to say two things here. And the first is this. The miracles, the marvelous miracles that we read of were always to confirm the gospel and to point to Jesus Christ. We need to understand that. It, it wasn't to say, you know what, they were healed for healing's sake. It, it wasn't that they would be healed for some other reason. The miracles, and I'm talking about these marvelous miracles, they were always to confirm the truth of the gospel and to exalt and to point to Jesus Christ. Listen very carefully. They were always that people would believe and be saved. They were always that people would get saved. Today, maybe you do as well, but today I hear of healing services. Churches that have a healing service where they advertise and they promote a healing revival. And there's all sorts of things they call them, whatever you want to call them. And they, they promote, we're going to have a healing service. We're going to have a healing revival. And if you ever listen, they talk about all the, the awesome things that are going on there. Bethel out in California, other churches, some of them around us locally as well. They talk about, you know what, this thing happened and this person got healed and their collarbone was healed and their knee was healed and their, their diabetes was removed. And they talk about all these things and gold dust fell from the ceiling and they go on and on. Somebody received their sight. Here's what I noticed. If you ever ask well, did anybody get saved? They act like you're talking a foreign language. They act like they don't know what you're talking about. And they say, well, no, no, but, but did you hear about they got their hearing back? But did anybody get saved? I want to tell you, the miraculous movement of God was always and is, is always that people would be saved. The New Testament miracles always confirm the gospel and they always point people to Jesus that people would be saved. And the second thing is this. That's the first thing. second thing is this. And boy, we need to hear this. Where the gospel is preached and where God is working and where Jesus is being exalted, God's power will be on display. And, I, and I, I'll tell you, we, we, we wonder, well, how come God doesn't work that way anymore? How come we don't see those things anymore? Oh, I'd like to be in a church where the power of God is known. Oh, I'd like to see a powerful movement of God. And listen to me, when the gospel is preached and when God is working and when Jesus Christ is being exalted and lifted up, God's power will be on display. What that means is the church ought not be a sleepy movement. 
We ought not be an apathetic people. We ought not be content to be normal. We ought to be anything but normal where the right things are happening. God's power is on display. Do you believe that? Do you expect that? Do you say, well, I can remember some time in the past that might have been true. Did you wake up today and you say, you know what, I'm going to go where we're going to pray, where we're going to exalt Jesus Christ, and we're going to tell the good news of the gospel, and I can't wait to see what God might do there today. Do you expect that? Or has church become mundane, something, well, I might miss it for a little bit, maybe no big deal. You know, I don't think anything's going to go on. I don't know if it's important that I would miss it or not. Do you expect mighty, marvelous things when God's people take up his business? The church is an unnormal thing. All right, that's the first thing in our account. And then the next thing, a progression of the next thing. Well, now the next thing. In verses 36 through 39, that's our next set of verses. In verses 36 through 39, we're going to see personal discipleship is growing in the church. Personal discipleship is growing in the church. Now, I love this whole set of verses, but I especially love this part of the, the, the section. This is pretty awesome. I love what's about to happen. Verses 36 through 39. <clears throat> now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at the time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. Verse 39, So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Joppa's about 10 miles away. It says there was a disciple. Now, it's, it's one word is the feminine version of disciple. It is a female disciple. Now, listen, remember the definition of a disciple. It is a person that has placed themselves under the teaching of Jesus Christ. This is a person that has trusted Jesus Christ. This is a believer. And so this woman has submitted herself to the truth of Jesus Christ. There is a disciple. She is a female her name was Tabitha. Luke adds, the Greek version is Dorcas. Gives us both versions of her name. Now, friends, I want you to see today, this is our sister in Christ. Dorcas, Tabitha, she is our sister in Christ. Now, this woman, the Bible says, she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity. The word for abounding, I like this word, it means she is full of, or the most literal sense, she is completely occupied with. 
Now what that means is the, the focus of our life, the priority of our life, the, the, the fullness of our life is given to acts of kindness and charity. She is consumed with that. She thinks about that, and the fruit is she produces that. The Bible says she continually did acts of kindness and charity. In verse 39, she has passed away. They send two, two, two guys to go get Peter. And in verse 39, it says that Peter came and he enters into the upper room. Now listen very carefully to verse 39. And it says the widows there, they had gathered there with their friend's body, Dorcas's body, and they are weeping. They are crying. They are lamenting. They are so sad. They're, they're crying. And when Peter comes in, they start to show him all of the tunics and the, and the garments that Dorcas used to make and they're crying and they're grieved and they say, look at this and they start to show them the garments that she used to make. Now I want you to see this from the context. The widows were mostly and almost always poor. Most of them, many of them were older. Most of them had no future their spouse was dead and their kids had abandoned them or gone on somewhere else or they didn't have any kids. They were cut off from society and they had no place in their culture. And that was the law of a widow in this day and that's how it was culturally. They had no hope and they were older and they couldn't see any future. And it says as, as Peter comes into that upper room that they're weeping. They're at the body of their friend Tabitha Dorcas. They're weeping and they start to show him the clothes that she used to make. Why did they do that? Listen to me. It wasn't because they thought she was a great seamstress. It wasn't because they were proud of the clothes that she used to make. It wasn't that they were so excited about the trade, the craft that she had mastered. Friends, it was because they were wearing those clothes and Dorcas had served them, and Dorcas had cared for them, and when nobody else loved them, she made them clothes, and they say, look at the clothes that we're wearing. These are the fruits of her hands, and we're clothed in the work of her hands. They weep over this gracious woman. See this. The name Tabitha and the Greek version Dorcas, very interesting, both of them, both mean, both translate gazelle. She was a gazelle. Now, in this day, it meant beauty, and it may have meant physical beauty. It sure could have meant that. But it probably meant the beauty of her heart, the beauty of her life. This is a beautiful woman but it also says a gazelle. A gazelle is swift, and a gazelle is fast, and a gazelle runs, and a gazelle jumps. Do you see by her name, this woman lived a beautiful life, and she was going, and she was moving, and she was active, and she's showing kindness, serving the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know in James it says, true religion undefiled is to care for the widows, 
I want you to see this woman, Dorcas, this woman, Tabitha. She is a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to see. And she did it. That's what I love most about this. She did it. She did it. She didn't have to belong to some group that met at noon and they talked about it and made charts about it. She did it. She didn't need some husband to goad her into doing it and to twist her into doing it. She didn't ask other folks to do it. She didn't sit around and whine and cry and point out the need. She did it. She was a personal disciple of Jesus Christ. And friends, I want you to understand that is what the church ought to produce. That is what walking with Jesus ought to produce. That is what time spent in his word ought to produce. We ought not have to mail you postcards and letters and say, would you do it, would you do it, would you do it? Tabitha did it. She walked as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Oh, I love that. Let me back up to verse 37 again. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. All right, something's going crazy in verse 37. It's normal. She got sick. She passed away. It's normal. They would have washed and prepared the body. It would have also been normal to very quickly bury the body. That was their tradition. That's how they did it. They would have prepared her for the grave and very quickly they would have put her in the grave. This verse says that they took her to an upper room. Something strange going on here. Evidently they had heard the things. Maybe they had seen the things and so they've got other plans here. They take her to the upper room and they send two men to go and find Peter. All right, next verse 40. In verse 40, we see the place of prayer in the church. We see the place of prayer in the church. Okay, verse 40. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Verse 40, Peter sent them out. And the first thing I get out of that, you know what, this wasn't a show. He wasn't about to put on some show for them. In fact, he sends them all out. And then it records, he knelt down and prayed. To kneel down was an act of humility. It was a, it was a posture of humility. So he got on his knees and he prayed. Man, I do not want us to miss this this morning. We need to be very clear of this. This is Jesus' church. This is Jesus' message. We have Jesus' mission. We do it in Jesus' power. It wasn't Peter's power. It's not going to be our power. It is Jesus' power. And so we see here the primary place. We see the importance of prayer. He bows on his knees and he prays. Do you understand this is Peter? This is Peter. This is the apostle. He's done many miracles. In fact, he had just done a great miracle. He could have said, you know what? I don't need to pray. I'll just stand and say, Tabitha, get up. But no, he humbles himself. He gets on his knees and he prays. 
Maybe this is the carry away for us from this message today. Maybe this is the takeaway for us from this message today. Folks, we've got to be praying in the church today. We've got to be consistent in prayer today. We've got to be committed to prayer. We've got to be earnest in our prayers as the church today. Let me ask you, are we? Are we really earnest, committed, consistent in prayer? Is it just some piece of what we do? Years ago I wrote, the extent that we experience the power of God is directly proportionate to the amount of time we spend in prayer before God. Listen to me. If we're going to see anything in our church, if we're going to see mighty movements of God in our church, if Christ is going to be exalted in the things that go on in our church, we have to be consistent and committed to prayer. He said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. She saw Peter. She sat up. Verse 41. And he gave her his hand and raised her up and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Now when you read verse 41, can you imagine the joy of verse 41. Can you imagine their beloved friend, their beloved Tabitha, the one that had worked, the one that had served them, the one that was a blessing to so many. She was dead. They washed her body. They knew she was dead. But now she is alive. The one that their clothes testified to, she is back with them. And they rejoice in verse 41. Can you imagine the turning of their hearts as they rejoice? Verse 42, it became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. It became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. The word for believe means have faith in, have confidence in, or were persuaded. They put their trust in, they had confidence in. They were persuaded Jesus is Lord. Again, they were saved. That first miraculous account, the result was people got saved. Well, now they are persuaded. They have put their trust in the fact that Jesus is the Lord. They are saved. <coughs> now, I don't know. Sometimes my brain goes weird places. But I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I have no idea. But did you know, it is possible, it's possible, they were only 10 miles apart. I wonder, did Aeneas ever run into, and I mean literally, now he's got legs, did he ever run into Tabitha? You ever think about that? I was sitting there yesterday and I was thinking through these things and I was looking through these verses and I wonder, I don't know, 10 miles apart and there's a great movement of God and people have gotten saved in a 50 mile stretch of folks have heard the gospel. They've seen the miraculous confirmation of the gospel and they've believed in Jesus and I wonder, I don't know, maybe it was some day at a different town. Maybe it was when they headed to the market. Maybe it was somewhere in a meeting in the church but I wonder, did Tabitha and Aeneas ever run into each other? And I, and I want to tell you, I wonder if they did. 
I can't imagine. I wonder if they did what they what their response was. Can you imagine the joy is there? Is Dorcas there? Is Tabitha? And she runs into a, Aeneas and he's walking around on his good legs. And I don't know. Maybe they broke out in revival. Maybe they maybe they praised the Lord. Maybe they broke out in song. Maybe they said, "We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus." Saves. Can you imagine? Friend, listen to me. Isn't that how it should be when the followers of Christ meet in the church? Shouldn't we sing out? Shouldn't we praise his name? Shouldn't we say, I was lost, but now I was found. I was lost and dead in my sins, but now I'm alive. And when we run into each other, shouldn't we praise the name of Jesus? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That's how the church ought to meet. Oh, that's how the church ought to meet. We ought to get noise complaints that we're scaring the Presbyterians. Verse 42. It became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Verse 43. Verse 43, we're going to see there is no room for prejudice in the church. There is no room for prejudice in the church. You say, what in the world? Let me read verse 43. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Now verse 43 sounds like a transition verse. It really is. It's a verse that you read on the way to other verses. Now, the account that's going to follow is tremendous, very important in the instruction of the church. But I want you to see what happens in verse 43. A tanner was a person that had an occupation that was loathed by the Jews, that was disgusting to the Jews. They handled dead animals. That made them unclean. They couldn't come to worship. They weren't part of the group. They handled dead animals. They worked with the skins of those dead animals. The rabbinical law said, now listen, this is something they added. If a Jewish woman found out that her husband was a tanner or became a tanner, I guess he kept it a secret, she had the right to divorce him. If she found out that guy was a tanner and I didn't know it, he held that, he always smelled kind of weird when he came home at night, she could actually divorce him. A disgusting individual. Well, guess what the Bible says? And Peter stayed many days. I looked up many days. It means multitudes of days. He didn't stop in there for just a day or two. He stayed many days in Joppa, with a tanner named Simon. Now, I want you to understand this. By now, Peter's pretty famous in this region. Man, there's a whole movement of God. The whole region got saved. That's what the Bible says. He could have stayed anywhere. He could have said, you know what? I want to go to the best house, to the finest home. I want to stay where they have the best menu. But no, he goes and he stays, listen to this, with his namesake. Simon Peter, Simon the Tanner. 
world didn't want him. world didn't like him. God had a purpose for him. Simon the Tanner. Friend, I want you to understand this. And boy, we need to be very clear in this day because Satan is making an end run everywhere he can. The work of Jesus Christ knows no prejudices. The work of Jesus Christ doesn't observe and, and, and will move according to color. Doesn't move and doesn't work according to status. No respecter of status. The work of Jesus Christ knows no prejudices. In the next chapter, we're going to see that God actually shows up on Simon the Tanner's rooftop. But today we see there is no place for prejudice in the church of Jesus Christ. And so these things we see in our verses today, preaching is the main thing. Power is on display in the church. Personal discipleship is growing in the church. Prayer is central in the church. Prejudice has no place in the church. Do you see today, the church is not a normal thing. Praise the Lord, the church is not a normal thing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for your truth. Lord, I'm thankful for your church. Lord, forgive us for the mess that we make out of it. Lord, help us to proclaim the gospel, not just in this pulpit, not just in our classrooms, but when we go to work, when we go to the gas station, when we go to the restaurant, as we go through the course of life, let all of us preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to expect a powerful movement of God. Help us to, people to, to expect people to see your glory, for people to be saved. Lord, help us to bathe the whole thing in prayer, to be consistent and consumed in prayer, to submit to you, to worship you, to seek your hand and your face in prayer. Lord, help us to grow as personal disciples, not leaning on somebody else, not looking to someone else. Help us to grow as personal disciples. Lord, help us to foreclude, to have no use for prejudice in the church. Lord, I pray that in that, there will be a people that in a dark day hold up a light. There will be a people that in the world as it hurts, as it looks for hope, there will be a people that will proclaim that hope. Lord, I pray in the midst of a world that's suffering, that's dying, that's stumbling unto death, that there will be a church that will proclaim there is hope in Jesus alone. Lord, use us for your glory. We love you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. I pray in Jesus' name. Yeah.